This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We are looking at the end of 1 Peter chapter 3 to begin our study today. 1 Peter chapter 3, it says in verse 18 that Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Like most New Testament writers, Peter kind of ebbs and flows between exhortation, instruction, and motivation to that exhortation and instruction. And what I mean by that is, remember from the beginning, as he seeks to fortify the faith of his brethren, he speaks of the blessings that are found in Christ Jesus and the eternal salvation that we have to look forward to, that he calls the inheritance in chapter 1, which is guarded by the power of God, and it's kept in heaven, it's safe for us. And he speaks of, in chapter 2, the privileged position that we have of God's chosen people, and this new covenant being a royal priesthood, being a people for his own possession, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And in between those kinds of sections where Peter, like he is here at the end of chapter 3, speaking of our salvation and likening it it to the salvation of of Noah, uh, in between those sections we have the practical instruction that Peter intends for us to take to heart, uh, how we should live to be holy as our God is holy. As he says there in the midst of chapter 1, that our Father that we serve is still impartial and he's perfect in all of his ways and he's called us to obedience, right? That's how he ends chapter one and verses 22 and 23 and begins chapter two with longing for the pure milk of the word verses one and two. Now we should submit to that and continue to submit to that. And we saw just a couple of weeks ago in the bulk of chapter three that specifically what that looks like in these various relationships as a citizen, wherever we are in the world, as a husband, as a spouse, as a wife, as a uh, in, in the slave-master relationship, uh, that those in the subordinate position submit to those in authority, and they do that to bring glory to God and ultimately silence critics and maybe even win our critics to the side of Christ, convert them to, to Christ. And this is how he goes about fortifying our our faith, uh, reminding us again of the wonderful promises we have in Christ, uh, but also our responsibility in light of those promises that we uh, must continue to serve him because these brethren scattered abroad suffered persecution, uh, just as many Christians do today and, and always will, as promised in the New Testament. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, Paul tells Timothy. And so we we all carry around some sort of, you know, event uh, or, you know, or something in our past that 
you know, affected us. Maybe, maybe it was persecution. And, you know, we think of that and sometimes it, it gets us down or maybe it was just life happening, a tragic accident or a loss or of a loved one or even a baby. And, you know, that's some of these are, you know, can be life changing events. Um, you know, the, and those are all bad examples. Uh, and we discussed this last week, you know, as Peter says there um, at, at the end of, of chapter three, that if you would love life and see good days, here's what you must do. Uh, keep a good conscience before God and bear up under suffering, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And, and so loving life and seeing good days doesn't mean bad things never happen, that terrible things never happen to Christians. Actually, it's just, just the opposite. No, we should expect expect evil. We should expect insult. We should expect persecution. And of course, just life happening and, and uh, you know, tragedies, you know, we, we eventually have to face. But loving life and seeing good days doesn't mean the absence of those things. Rather, it means continuing to serve Jesus in spite of those things. And we can know peace and we can be assured of the blessings afforded in him and the hope of eternal life and, and look forward to that day when all suffering will finally be done away with. And so we are called to have that perspective, you know, and, and what Peter is saying is that for you, if you're a Christian, the most significant event in your life was entering into the body of Christ obeying his gospel and finding salvation in, in him. It was the moment you were taken out of bondage, out of the bondage of sin and forgiven and, and put into the family of God, as Paul describes in Colossians 1, 13, transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that single event should change everything about you. And it should certainly change your perspective of life and how you see the difficulties of life and how you bear up under uh, suffering. Uh, because of that event, no other day and, and no other experience um, can rob you of what you have in Christ, and that is eternal life. And, you know, Peter compares our salvation to the experience of Noah we just read at the end of chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Noah lived in a world dominated by sin and so he he what more encouraging example could there be you know if you feel uh you know oppressed and vexed and just kind of run down by the by the the just the all the bad news that seems to be piped into us through social media and the internet and tv and you know 24-hour news cycles that we have today we're just constantly reminded that we live in a world dominated by sin and corruption but one day, one day Noah stepped into the ark and that changed everything. You know, God's wrath removed the sin in the world and when Noah emerged, the world was a very different place. And Peter is saying in verse 21 that this is what happened when you entered into Christ in baptism, when you made this appeal to God for a good conscience because of what he accomplished in Christ. You entered into the water of baptism. You were scarred by sin. But the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection removes all of that. And you emerge a changed 
person with a totally different perspective. And it changed the way you think about sin. And it changed the way you thought about service. And it changed the way you thought about all your relationships. And if we don't have the attitude that Peter's discussing here, I, I think that's a red flag. I think he's, t- he's telling us we're in danger. And so we need to... We need to adopt this attitude because look at what he goes on to say in chapter four. He says, therefore, okay, so here's, in other words, here's why I said what I just said. Here's what I'm driving at. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already is past sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lust and drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. And all this they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they might live in the Spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of, of prayer. So let's stop right there for, for just a moment. So we know that the gospel exposes our sin for what it is as a, as a deadly disease for which there's no cure. Just the removal by the power of Jesus' blood and sacrifice. And so... Given that reality, um, we have to flee from it, avoid it, right? He says, if this is really who you are, you're going to cease from sin. Not that you're going to be perfect and never make a mistake anymore, but again, your your desire, your perspective is is different now. Uh, and the you know the invitations of of people who want you to go and sin along with them, they look different now. And as you resist, they're going to make fun of you. You know, the Bible tells us to abhor what is evil. Right? It never says abhor what is really evil or abhor some evil. But no, it, the Holy Spirit says hate whatever whatever is evil and cling to what is good, Romans 12, 9. And I see that same principle coming through here with with Peter. He's saying all of that should be behind you now because you know that sin leads to death. You know the misery that it leads to. You know that it was ultimately the reason Jesus came and gave his life. It's going to make you sorrowful here and now. Sin separates you from God. It makes you an ally with, with the devil. And so you have to come out of it you you began to follow Jesus with that understanding. Now you have to continue in that. You know, so we can't. In other words, we can't honestly and humbly look at what Jesus suffered for our sins um, and still want anything to do with them. Still continue in them. And so we have to make several important decisions as we strive to be holy. The first one that Peter addresses, and really he's been addressing throughout the the book is that willingness to suffer. And he he does it again here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. So it was Jesus' suffering that removed our sin in the first place, and it is our willingness to suffer for righteousness' sake that will keep sin from returning. Yes, people are going to hate you. Yes, they're going to make fun of you. 
they're going to apply pressure in a lot of different ways, uh, but you you have to make the determination to stay the course. Suffer the insults of the world. So what? Suffer their attacks. Don't don't give in to the sinful desires that they're trying to uh, and, and values that they're trying to instill in you. So let's let's make up our minds and have and and settle once and for all that we're going to use the rest of our lives to serve God, come what may, and and refuse to give ourselves over to comfort and pleasure. You know, not that pleasures and comforts are wrong in and of themselves, but uh, certainly they are when sin is involved. And so that. That willingness to suffer, I think Peter knows it doesn't come easily. And so he gives us three reasons why we should embrace suffering for righteousness sake. And the first one is rooted in the past in verse 3. And then the second one is rooted in the present, verse 4. And then the last one is rooted in the future, verses 5 and 6. And so he's surrounding us with motivation for holiness and and verse three that we read you know he says the time is past you've carried out the desire of the gentiles no more you've pursued that course of lust and drunkenness and crowding and, and the sins that he names there and that that should be behind you and so being holy as our god is holy and suffering for righteousness sake means i'm going to reject what the world calls fun if I look over my shoulder and I'm kind of fondly, uh, you know, even tolerantly looking at the values of the world, uh, then then I'm doomed. I have to recognize, I have to recognize it for what it is. Right? I, I I have to see now the futility of it, the destruction that it brought in, in Noah's day when an entire world was destroyed. Right? We we have a society now that's obsessed with all the same things. Right? with alcohol and drinking parties and, and uh, sensuality and sex. And I have to square my shoulders and, and remember the truth of Scripture that what the world calls fun is a fraud, that it destroys body and soul. Uh, and I think it's worth noting here that social drinking is condemned along with drunkenness in verses 1 through 5. You know, so Peter names drunkenness, which is literally overflowing with wine. He names carousing, which means giving occasion for drinking. Uh, your Bible might say uh, um, revelries or something to, to that effect. So not necessarily what, from a human perspective, we would call drunkenness, uh, but it's riotous conduct, conduct. You know, it's under the influence. And then he just says uh, drinking parties. Your Bible might say social drinking, banquetings. Uh, it's it's the same idea. It's alcohol and conversation. Uh, so it's not you know the Holy Spirit. He's choosing his words deliberately here, as he does without uh, within all Scripture. Um, and I, you know, I, I really have to work hard if I'm going to quibble with that. If I'm going to try and escape the force of Scripture, I'm going to have to try and create some. Uh, pretty thin excuses so that I can consume alcohol and be right with God. 
I don't see Peter leaving any room for that in this in this text. So something to think about and study further. Uh, notice holiness does not seek to please people, verse four. So yeah, you're going to have all these voices calling for you to go back. You know, the darkness never likes the searching light of of righteousness because what you do now, how you live your life, it's going to expose. Uh, them for what they are. It's just what Scripture does in its direct teaching, and it's what those who live by the Scripture do as they adhere to God's will. It just shows the. It just exposes the foolishness of the world and their way of thinking and their way of living and what they value, right? And so they think we're strange and foreign, and that's because we are, right? They'll say we're foolish and be disrespectful, but disciples who value and love the acceptance of God, the approval of God more than the approval of men, they're going to stand firm. But when those values are flipped and disciples cave to pressure because they want the approval of men or their family, their spouse or their children over the approval of God, then they're going to melt away in the presence of that, um, you know, of all that dislike and all the insults and, you know, so forth. So, you know, know, it's no secret that Christians will try to change doctrines or or drop them altogether, change their behaviors so that they don't upset people who are critical of them. But the reality is is that what we're doing is we're abandoning holiness, right? Because it's your adherence to the truth that's going to set you apart as holy. John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So in, in trying to make yourself more palatable to the world, you're, uh, you're compromising what should be most important to you, and that is being distinct and holy and living a life that Jesus approves. And being holy looks to judgment. So here's that, that future aspect of these three reasons, the last one. As Peter says, you, you need to understand and remember that God is still on his throne, that he's going to judge and he's ready to judge. It's not that he's vindictive and, and, and anxious to condemn anybody, but the reality is, is that we're, we're all racing toward that day. And so seeking to please anyone other than him, the ultimate judge, is just not only misguided, but it's foolish. He's standing ready. No one's going to escape his righteous rule. He wins in the end. So why not stand on his side? What seems popular, what seems so powerful and irresistible now, today, in our time among people, it doesn't stand a chance before the judge of heaven. One preacher said, Worldliness is a shanty on the beach awaiting the hurricane of God's wrath. It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, wherein he says, I will show you whom he is like, the man who hears my words and does them. He is like the man who built his house upon the rock, and the rains came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it stood firm. That's the only way anyone stands firm. In our salvation, the, the truth in Christ, it should change our attitude towards sin. We should want to rid ourselves 
of its love and, and, and practice and desires. But in that void, we want to place something more precious, and that's loving service to others. It's a desire to glorify God. Let's continue reading in verses 7 through 11. Again, the end of all things is near. Be of sound judgment. Be of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever. Amen. Okay, so in light of our salvation in Christ and our privilege standing with Him, the grace that He's afforded us should stir within us a desire to serve others, to share the love that he's shown to us. You know, years earlier, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and she responded by immediately getting up. Remember in, in Mark chapter one, verses 29 through 31, she gets up immediately and then she starts serving everybody else. You know, I, you know, I don't think that that would have been a difficult task. The text doesn't say because she was so thankful that Jesus had healed her, but you know, who could deny it? You know, that that account is there for a reason. And I think this is either the second or third time that Peter has reminded us about the importance of prayer in verse 7. That as we are striving to live holy lives and suffer like Christ, we have to remind ourselves that we don't walk alone and we need to pray and we need to be uh, sober, not swept up in uh, all the hullabaloo uh, around us. You know, Peter may remember the time that he and John were threatened by the Sanhedrin, ordered not to preach about Jesus again. Um, and remember, they were beaten and, and they left. And then they assembled in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. They found their brethren. And do you remember what they did? They prayed together. And then they went back out and preached with more boldness. So we, we need this spiritual discipline. We need this blessing of prayer. We can't take it for granted. We so often do. And, and that in turn, if we are disciplined in, in prayer, should lead to action, verses 8 through 10. Notice that's what service is. It requires action. It's not just when it's convenient, when it's easy, you you do it, remember, as he's talking to people who are suffering persecution. Uh, we're to show love to others, even when they sin. Verse 8. We, we're we not looking for evil in, in other people. We're not trying to speak evil of other people. Uh, we're, we're looking for what's best in others and being patient, just as our God is patient with us. And we show our love by helping those who are in need, right? Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Show kindness to um, to our brethren. And finally, use all the blessings and abilities God has given you for the good of others. I think that's what Peter's doing here when he's saying in verses 10 through 11, he's naming all of these things that we can do for the glory of God. It's a full spectrum 
of service. Maybe you're a good teacher, uh, you, you know, you're a good servant. What, whatever it is, Peter says, in all things, God should be glorified through you. So use your abilities that God has gifted you for His glory and the good of others. Uh, and that's not, again, it's not always going to be convenient for you to do that or, or easy. It requires time. It requires effort. It requires money even. You know, there's all the sacrifice, but it's ultimately worth it. He deserves nothing less and nothing other than our best. And we have, again, Peter going and reminding us of the motivations that we have. So here's that ebb and flow. We have this practical instruction, and now he's reminding us, why we should be motivated to follow through with that instruction. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. And so the time is short. You know, we we don't know when our lives will be over, when the time of our departure will come. And we don't know when Jesus returns, but the Bible consistently characterizes it as soon. And so this is an urgent matter. Get Get rid of sin. Love and serve others with the time that you have left because it's not much. And again, do it do it with whatever ability God has given you, with what God has supplied. Holiness is going against the grain. It's going against the way of the world. So is serving others. But notice Peter says that God will strengthen us, that we serve, verse 11, by the strength which God supplies and we can take him at his word. So as we think about what we're seeing here in these first few verses of, of 1 Peter chapter 4, we want to ask ourselves, have we truly been changed by the grace of God? As we read about his love and we read about the gift of his son in Scripture, what he gave for us, does that truly motivate us to serve? You know, Do we have such respect and honor for his word that we're willing to submit to it and change our lives for him? Are we committed to holiness, even to the point of suffering, uh, mockery, maybe even physical abuse, or maybe even civil repercussions at the hands of evil people? Or are we more interested in trying to win the approval of our families and children and friends at work and whoever else? Are we willing to reject what the world calls fun and see through the illusions that Satan is putting before us? Are we conscious of the judgment to come? Do we live soberly and righteously in this present age in the light of that knowledge that God is a God of love? He's not vindictive, but He does warn us a time is coming when we must answer for how we live this life. Do we continue in prayer so that we can stay focused and be strengthened by our God? What gifts has God given you to serve His people where you are right now? What God-given abilities do you have that maybe you're just sitting on? You haven't been diligent in service as you should, and maybe it's you know precisely because you haven't been spending time in prayer and because you haven't been spending time in his word and being devoted to those disciplines. You can't afford to phone it in any longer. And I think that this is, these are at least some of the things Peter would have us think about. Thanks for tuning in. 
please continue to study the Bible and continue in prayer. If you're looking for more study resources, you can find them at our website, leonvalleychurch.org. Feel free to shoot me an email anytime at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Thanks again.